it's called Story Quest. Um, so we're just basically going to have a conversation uh, just about kind of what life was like. Um, we're collecting both Homefront and veteran stories, so we have a very unique perspective um, kind of about everything. So if you could just say your name and when and where you were born. Mervyn Coy, November 10th, 1926. Tell us about growing up a little and having 10 brothers and sisters. It was 10 of us in the family. We had five boys and five girls. I was next, to, I was the youngest boy, and my sister that's living, she was the youngest, or next to the youngest girl. She lives at Unicorn Lake. Been on farm all my life. <laughs> Born on farm, raised on farm. Yeah. Worked for auto parts store in Chestertown, Hickman's. Worked for Acme store really? when I got out of service. Oh. And then back on farm again. Mm-hmm. And been on farm ever since. Well, not ever since because I went to work for General Foods, okay. and I worked there until I retired. I retired from there, and then come back, back working on farm, helping brother down on the farm. Um, I mean, so at the end of the war, were you enlisted or did you, were you drafted? Or? Well, back in '45. I was always in trouble going to school, <laughs> playing hooky and everything else. And I met up with some friends of mine, and four of us got together. Of course, war was going on strong in. Mm-hmm. And the four of us decided we were going to play hooky on a certain date, Friday. and. Hitchhiked to Baltimore for the join the army. Oh, really? So four of us got up back. We was going to school, and we all met, and we got out on the road and thumbed the rides here and there, from different people, and went uh, up there, Fort Dix, and then we were transferred to. Baltimore to the uh, army over there, and well, all four of us missed Christmas. They give us choice what branch they asked you what branch you want to join, and whatever you told them, they'd give you the opposite. (laughs) So I wound up in the infantry. And then they, we had to go to, uh, and Christmas Eve, spent all night peeling potatoes for the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first four regimes warning. <laughs> and the four of us got separated. One went this and one went that, and then the 
when time the ship out I went to Fort Dix for the ship the over the sea Germany so the other boys want to all four of us went in different areas for basic training. I went to Fort, uh, Fort McClellan, Alabama, the mud hole of the world. <laughs> Rained every day down there and crawled down in them pits. You just come out there with that white clay just stuck to you all over you and on your gun. You just walk into the shower and turn it on until you got it off. Anyway, uh, Christmas Day, they let us off, or the day after Christmas. And uh, the father, all we had was an old farm truck, and he come over and brought us home for have dinner. So we spent Christmas home with them after peeled potatoes all day and all night. Then we left and went to Fort Dix for the ship out. And all four of us went in different directions, different sections. And I went to Germany and I had quite, a, quite an experience. First we went to uh, That's top of New York, our lake, our people go there for vacations, like. Um, Erie or? Lake Erie? I don't know. Mm. Erie, Ontario. Ontario. Oh, there, uh, it's an island there. I spent one night there for the, for we boarded the ship. As far as he went that day and let us off there. Yeah. They had a party that night for us shipping out, and the next morning we pulled out and headed to Germany. So what, what year was this? Was this during the war while it was still going on or towards the end? Toward the end. It was still going on, but there's a lot of sniper work. <laughs> and when I got over in Germany, uh, my job was with the group I was in. We had to guard the, the house or building where Hitler made his speeches at. Mm -hmm. He used to come there and, and uh, cross open field and, mm -hmm. and uh, big uh, gathering people be lined up out there all along the fence to hear him speech. Mm -hmm. And that was our job to guard that house. Was that an odd feeling, knowing that you were guarding Hitler's house? Did you sort of understand the significance of it at the time? Yes, I did. And it was snipers. You could uh, sit in the house there and look out after dark, and you could see them move around the war fence. The whole area was warred in. It's supposed to be, but they they'd cut the snipers would cut the fence patch it up so the guards couldn't see it when they rode around in their jeep. And uh, then that night, they, after dark, you didn't dare go outside. You just stood inside and kept your eyes open 
for movement. If you saw movement, you better investigate it. So you were worried that there was going to be an attack on the, on the compound? Yes, it was. Very much so. Was there ever any exchange of fire? No. Once in a while, yes. One fellow, one of the guards got, got killed. He heard this noise down in the defense. And when he got down there, he couldn't find anybody. And he started looking around. First thing you know, he's gone. They never did find out who'd done it. But it could have been a lot worse. And then we had to guard this building because Hitler had moved all his, most of his stuff out over in a hotel, big hotel there that had a whole open field in front of it for people to gather to hear his speeches. But in about a week or two weeks, something like that, they give orders. We received orders to clear the house out, empty it out, everything in there, load it on truck, take it back in the to his headquarters. And I was in charge of that, shipping it, help the help the. Help the put it on the elevator like an elevator I run down the steps for the run it into yeah. the truck and uh, and first thing you know right last uh, trunk it was taken down it fell apart with them and all these pictures of Hitler just strung out all the way down the steps and. They was packing up, tying stuff down on the truck, getting ready to leave, and I hollered to him. I said, uh, here's a bunch of pictures on the step of Hitler. I said, uh, if you want to come back and pick them up, he said, throw them in trash. We got enough of them. We got enough of them on here. And instead of throwing them all in trash, I saved five or six of them and sent them home. And I don't know where... My wife has got this one. She passed away here in December. And I've been going through stuff, and I haven't come up with them yet. But I know I, I got one of them. I kept one for myself, where I showed Hitler making a speech there and everything out of this same building. And uh, all the guards are, they, each one of them took two or three apiece. But he had a whole stack of them there. What else was in the building? Like Just uh, some furniture and desk-like chairs, okay. bunk bed. Just an empty building? Yeah, it was just an empty building there. Wasn't nobody in there then, just the troops guard, guarding. So nobody took out any of his papers or I, they wouldn't take him back to headquarters. So was this building around Berlin? Yeah, right, right outside of Berlin, yes. Because that Hitler would made a speech there in Berlin. I'd come out on this great big hotel. That's where he moved to. Up on the like the third or fourth floor, and come out on this big platform they made for him iron, and man, people would just gather all out there. 
uh, after things settled down, if you was a uh, American over there, you didn't go out of the house after dark. Yeah. Was the atmosphere tense in Berlin? Can you describe that a bit? Very, very intense. Yeah. When the, eventually they moved us from from the back where we was at at Gordon House over in the hotel. Yeah. So I was in the hotel and saw right all across the on the same floor only across the aisle from where he made his speech I he'd go open the door and go right on the platform and make his speech. But and of course the little kids over there you felt sorry for them. Uh, man, they were starving, people starving and a lot of the Germans over there appreciated us. I mean, they did this. One fellow I met, he got talking to me out in front of the hotel, and he invited me out. He had a, two, two little kids with him, and he invited me out to his house for to have dinner. And you have to be very cautious. And I kept putting him off, and finally he said, well, my kids would really love to have you come out uh, since, since Sunday. Yeah. He's having dinner out there. So I got up my nerve to go, and when I went out there, it was a farmer. He had a nice little farm with a big barn, cows, and like went underneath of the, and he, his house was up over the cows, <laughs> up over his milk cows. And he had uh, three little kids. And the uh, whole time I was going out there, and, and out there, you like this all the time, we had going and looking who's moving. And him and his wife, they just took to me for some reason. Because, of course, I always loved kids. I mean, I've always, we didn't, couldn't have one, me and my wife. We adopted two, but uh, these little kids were starving. So I would give black K rations every week. I'd give to them to the kids. They went on till, till the company, Germans over there made them move, tear it down, move, move further back. Yeah. But them little kids, and then these little kids, they'd come up to the barracks hotel there and pick up the GI's clothes and take them home and wash her. Their mother would take them, wash them, on them, and send them back with these little kids. Mm -hmm. They were starving. Then this little girl comes, she one day said, my mommy wants to know if you'll come out that place to our house and have supper with us one night. And of course, we were forbidden of that. I said, no, I don't believe so. 
so she went on for about a week or so. She used to come pick up my clothes to go get them laundered and then bring them back. There's two of them. And uh, so then she come one day, she said, uh, well, well, my daddy said, of course, the street she lived on, it, that's where most of the killing was going on at that time, these snipers. My daddy said that if you'll come out for supper, he'll come here and pick you up, get on the train with you, and 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 escort you to our house and escort you back. So I thought it over after a while. I thought, well, uh, dangerous anywhere you go. So. Finally, I give in to her, and, and then he come with her one day. He said, now, don't you leave this place. You stay right here till you see that train coming. I'll be on it, and when I get off, then to you, I'll get a hold of your hand, and you hold on to mine, and don't let go. You stay right with me on that train. So we went down where it got off, and he said, now, don't worry about people standing there or following us. Said, you just hold on my hand on the inside. And that's why I went down about four blocks down the street holding his hand. Mm -hmm. And and had uh, two of them followed us for two blocks. And then they gave up. And said, so man, went in she had a nice meal fixed I mean nice for her and the family and so when time come for me to go back he said uh, I'm gonna escort you back he said you see strangers following us he said but you got nothing to worry about and I'm gonna want and don't get off that train when it stops that till you you're stopped said, wait till I get out, and then you come out and hold my hand. And that's, that escorted me back up into the hotel. I've done that a couple times, but, man, that was scary. You see them people just standing there staring, wait, waiting to get you. But I enjoyed it. I mean, it, it was rough. Not what uh, went through in that fighting. Yeah. On one of the ships I got on, they thought first they la I landed in Bremerhaven, and I stayed there for I guess three three weeks I think it was. Didn't ha didn't know where I was going. Nobody knew where I was supposed to go. Our the troops on the whole troops. Boatload of troops. Nobody knew where they was going. We stayed there for three weeks, and they was getting ready to ship us back huh, to the states. And then, just as part of us got on the boat for to come back states, next day they said oh, it's been canceled. Now you can get off and come back to your barracks. You're going the other way. So they sent us on down further, and went to France that time. And that's a place you never want to go. 
That is the filthiest, nastiest place I was ever in. Of course, we weren't allowed out after dark or anything. Step, slip on the ship. And uh, then when we was going through maneuvers up the mountain there, come down into Le Havre, France, <laughs> a group of us was going out together one night just looked town over. I guess I shouldn't say it, but you'd be walking down the street if a man wouldn't walk along holding her hand all once she had to go to the bathroom and just stop and squat right down. You had to walk out around them right in the middle, right in the street. <laughs> and that fixed me. I told the guy, I said, I'm not going any further. I'm going back to the boat. I can just get on that boat. And he said, well, that's, that's normal over here. That the whole group of them, everybody lived there and do the same thing. Man, woman, they just had to go. They'd stop right in front of you. You just had to walk out around them. Was, was that because um, the town had been so ravaged by war, or was it just... No, that's, that, that was before the war. They said they didn't like it. That's the way it's always been. Okay. Little hard France. It, it, it was filthy, and we had the maneuvers there up a mountain, a steep mountain, and when we used to come down off that mountain, we used to go right out in the edge of the river there and uh, wash up before we went in the barrack to take a bath. But I said, man, that's one place they'll never worry about me going back <laughs> to sea. Then I went on down the Castle, Germany. The scariest part of it all, we was guarding the border between us and uh, Germany. In, Germ in Germany, they had this underground ammunition I guess you've read about that. It's in a lot of books. But you'd be coming, I was stationed in there, and you're talking about scary. Man, you're afraid to move. But you'd be riding down this, uh, like, door lane highway when we moved in over there, and then trucks. We'd ride right down, like, door lane highway, and then they had this detour with red lights, you pull over in the left lane for like you was going to cross over on, on the door. Instead of that, you went over and started down the hill, slight hill like slant. And first thing you know, here was red light underground. It's just like you still out on the door highway, but it had red lights there and everything for so you wouldn't collide with another vehicle crossing. And we guarded there for, I guess, a month or more. <laughs> but she's afraid he, they'd go out, the other guy go out touring, looking things over and taking pictures. I said, not me. <laughs> it's uh, too dangerous under here for me be walking. But it, but it, you never, never know you was out of ammunition dump. It's just like a city, I mean, streets, paved and just as neat 
lights are all over the place. It stayed there for a while and then shipped us all down further. Can't, I was trying to think of the other town where we went. I had a hole in the bottom of the boat there. It was about to sink. And they called for help. And uh, we had, had uh, kicked soldiers up all night. Uh, three or four of them stayed up at a time to make sure the pumps run. And it, it was gained, it was up to the second step going up on deck from the basement where the motors was and they couldn't get it caught up. And finally, just as just the boat was on its way near back there to us, they got it stopped. And uh, so the, the other boats was notified to turn around and go back. And then we made it all in the dock. When we got in the dock, it just started leaking again. But we were in the, got off there at the dock. But it, it is quite quite an experience, I think. But of course, the parents they was upset because they didn't know where none of us was. They didn't know we'd hook school until that night. Did you correspond with your family while you were in Europe? Oh yes, yes. And of course, I I had just met. What turned out to be my wife, uh, when I, I knew I was going in service, I didn't say nothing to her. I just took off and went. In fact, I didn't know her then when I went in service. Then when I come home from service, or I was still in there, but I come home one day, night and I went, it used to be a bowling alley in Churchtown out where Bud Hubbard, I don't know if you know where Bud Hubbard used to be. Yeah. All right, where Bud Hubbard's was, is right across the street from Bud Hubbard's was a bowling alley there. And uh, I had on the old combat boots and lightning to come home uh, and, and I, wasn't, I wasn't a drinker, I never was a drinker. And uh, a lot of them would go to the bar and like and cross on the other side of the bowling alley was the street was Bud Hubbard's place there. And it served a lot of drinks there. It always had a crowd. But I went to the bowling alley and, <laughs> and I was going to try to bowl and have them big boots on. I fell down on the first time I went to the bowl. Fell down, and this woman was standing there in the back. <laughs> she she started talking to me, and here was the girl. Was the she worked for a John Deere dealer up the street there, two about two blocks up from a bowling alley. She was bookkeeper, and and I met her. When I took the tractor in there for I went in the service, and I got to know her very well. And I was watching people bowl, and I saw this girl got up there and bowled, and I said, hmm, that's a nice-looking girl there. 
I said, uh, see if I can't get a date with her when I come home again. She said, uh, Della spoke up, that's John Deere clerk. She said, that's my sister, younger sister. I said, your sister? She said, yeah. And that's how we met. She introduced me to her and got a date with her and ended up marrying her. 60, 63 years, going on 64. So when did you come back from Europe? In 47. That's when you. That's when you met your wife. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. We got married in fifty. Was there a bit of a transition process going from what you'd seen over in Europe to transitioning back into everyday life as a civilian? Was that hard? No. No. Once a farm boy, you're always a farm boy. Mm-hmm. So. Just. And of course, we, with ten kids, we was very, very poor, which called dirt poor family. We raised our own chickens to kill for meat and hogs, and had a lot of sheep. And of course, I never did like mutton, but. Uh, always raised our own poultry, eggs, we had eggs to sell to a lot of people at stores and like. So did you continue farming when you when you returned home? Did I return to farming? Yeah. Partially. But I got a job in Churchtown I worked in the Acme store for, for quite a few years. And then uh, it wasn't a thing for me. And then I got a job right down the street from the Acme store. The help in the Acme store was very good, but the owner was a little grumpy. And, uh, but we got, a, got along. And then uh, a couple guys opened up a typewriter place, servicing typewriters in the schools, high schools, and like. And uh, they offered me a job, so I quit there and went to work for them. And uh, of course, I, we covered the whole shore, went, went down far as Ocean City the schools and like service and typewriters. I can't typewrite a, a word on them and I worked on them all them years mm-hmm. and nobody couldn't understand that why I couldn't uh, type. Wow. <laughs> you go in there and you ask the students and say, what, what's wrong, what's going on on there? They tell you and go ahead and fix it. But as far as typing, I never could type. And why she was expert typewriter. She worked for Pete Heck, lawyer in Churchtown there for years, even after we got married. Till we adopted the kids, and then she, she went to adopt the kids. So we adopted a little girl first. 
And then we put in for another one, another girl come up, so we got two girls. What are your daughter's names? One's Tina, she lives, we built this house right on the other side from here, the other side of this stream. I bought from this, right here in my lane, I bought from that to the side road that goes to Crumpton Crossroad right up here. I bought this whole block here. And uh, when she adopted the kid, first one, uh, I just thought it was time for her have her own house. Because her, her husband, they lived over to Annapolis and they separated. And, and they lived here. So the kids, they was get, getting into school age. And, they went place of their own, so that's, we were sitting there talking one day over here to my neighbor, and, and I said, do you have any qualm if I put up a house, deed off an acre to my daughter and put up a house for her and marry her? They said, no, indeed. Because I'd sold all the houses that all the lots along the road mm -hmm. this way and the other way. I sold lots, both acre at a time. I didn't sell little lots, either an acre or nothing. And everybody agreed. I said, all right, then. So I just called uh, them home builders. They come and put it up. They was there in about a week. And they went right to work, put the foundation in, got it. And she moved over there with her two two kids, school kids. The other girl, when she graduated, she went to college up to Boston. And I uh, can't think of the name of the school, up our big school, college. She went up there to it, and she met a guy up there, and they got married, and she's lived up there since. Mm -hmm. He's a mechanic, worked for Sears, a, a, a line, automobiles lineman. Now, they went out of business a few months back, and another guy come in there doing the same thing. He and he hired him, so he he works for him now. They furnish him a truck to drive in. He don't have to use his car. Hmm. Each one of the men he had working for him, and they just overrun pe people opening up their own garages and putting in lifts, and that's what he does, puts in the front end lifts. Hmm. So, so he's got plenty of work right now. Going back to World War II, like, what are your memories about, like, Pearl Harbor or D-Day? Quite a big, big celebration everybody had, but still a lot of things was wrong with it. I don't know, it's just 
didn't know how to explain it. Like I say, I was very fortunate that I wasn't over there in the war. But when you see some of them guys with no legs and no, no arms, ain't a very good thing to look at. And some of them really make so good with it. I mean, they just take it in the stride. Because all, all of our neighbors, when we knew that on the farm, everybody had boys in, and all of them had joined, joined the service, I mean, to get away from farm work. And uh, our best best friends, well, near about every, every boy that was old enough was gone in the, in the service. Did any of your brothers serve? Hmm? Did any of your brothers serve? Yeah. I had uh, three, three brothers in the service, one in the CBs, one in the Air Force, and one in the One in the CBs or two in the CBs. And I had a brother-in-law was captain in the army. And he married my sister and they bought a place back on Chester River here when he was retired. And uh, he lived back there, rest of him and her they lived back there until they died. They didn't have no kids. One of the sisters had a a boy after her, a young boy when her and her husband separated, and they took to him, raised him, just like their own. And he kept place back our spick and span he was captain and he thought he was still in service he wanted everything the way it's supposed to be yeah so was it was there a lot of people who you knew in the service like did some of your friends join up before you and your buddies joined or Oh yeah, well, like I say, all the farm boys around here had got had joined the. So when they got old enough, all of them would join the company K. Join service, one or the other. Very few of them right up road there, about two mile up road from here. Four of the boys was right right in this neighborhood here. They used to come out to our house every weekend and eat. Uh, Mom always fixed a lot of food and she's a good cook. And, and they used to come out for play ball and then we'd have, Mom would have dinner ready and whoever was there, she fed. So you were um, in the 
Chestertown area a little bit during the war before you went overseas. What was that atmosphere like? Was the town affected by the war? Did you notice a change before and after? Not really, no. After you, afterwards, you, that was the biggest change. Mm -hmm. Before, uh, in this area, most of them was farmers anyway. Uh, I joined Company K mm -hmm. over there. Uh, Marydale, and uh, so it wasn't, wasn't nothing, nothing new about it to them. I mean, they just wanted to get away from the farm work. Yeah. So when Pearl Harbor happened um, several years before you joined the service, did you have an idea maybe at the time that you would eventually um, join the Army? No, I don't. It's funny. We used to have two or three colored people from the Ewing town out here. We used to come and work for our father, uh, putting up fences for us. And this one old colored, colored fella, he, from a family of three brothers, and he was about seven foot. Big husky, colorful fella, and uh, we was putting up a fence. He could walk. Walk. All you had to do was take the iron post along and drop them where you wanted them at down the string. A string, and he'd come by, pick up a six-foot pole, and stand there and hammer it in like that, one hand, ten, ten, twelve-pound sledgehammer. He just walked from one to the other, and he was muscle. But I didn't see much change in them. They were all, all just ordinary farm boys. So on your farm, did you ever have uh, German prisoners of the war help out? Or? No. No? No. Did you hear about them being in town uh, at all? No. Did you ever um, hear about air raid drills in this county? Or did you ever ha know anyone who did plane spotting? Yeah, I knew, knew a fellow who used Spain, uh, plane spot in Delaware, but I don't know about any here. How is rationing for on the farm? Like, were you affected by like the ration busts? Or were you pretty much self-sufficient? No, no ration books. Oh. Mm. Of course, like I said, back in days, ninety percent of our everything you, you grew on the farm, yeah. as far as your food, yeah. and and your clothing. Most time, your mother had done all your sewing for your clothes. Yeah. She made all of our clothes. She made made all the clothes. I guess Clarftel started the high school. Where did you go to school? Where? Yeah. Well, I started. You spill. You know where McGinnis Corners at up here, Crossroad. Yeah. Going back town, if you get there, 
turn to your left, go down the Oh, I can never think of his name. But turn there to your left, mm -hmm. and just about 500 feet down there, 400 feet, mm -hmm. was a school, mm -hmm. an old wooden school there. And that was where I started school at. Mm -hmm. And we lived about a mile, a little over a mile, mile and a half from there on the back road. And we just walked from there over Sunday Mom would make my sh short pants for Sunday, mm -hmm. at, and we would head off going down there holding each other's hands, and me and his two younger sisters, we'd walk out go to church every Sunday. Right there, right there in McGinnis Corner. Had this great big tall stove, but was hollered tolling with this lamp, a, a pot belly stove called round one. Burnt wood, and me and another guy that used to live up across from where the sawmills at now. He lived there. He was his adopted son, and we were the two of the biggest boys in the school. And our job every day was to cut wood, to have the stove going next day, and uh, we would uh, get our classes done. And him and I would take off and go out there past the play yard in that open field and cut down them smaller trees like that. We'd cut them down, trim them, bring them up, and cut them up for firewood, and that's what they'd burn every day. The firewood that was made this Melvin Sacker was his name. He was adopted. And I don't know where he ever went when they moved from here. It must have been a ways away because I only seen him once since then. So I don't know where, he, where they ever moved to. He was an adopted boy. Mm -hmm. Was it a one-room schoolhouse or was it like... A yes. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So how many grades were in the one room? Two, I think it was. All we had out there, first and second. The school teacher, she was a, a she was a farmer's wife that lived down on uh, a Ross Wharf Road. They used to drive from down there up here to <laughs> Old Model T. forgot to ask you about World War II that you would like to share with us? Or? Yeah, well, like I say, France, I, I don't have any use for it. <laughs> and Austria, by, by the bad, they let you know. You say something to them, they say, we're not your enemy. We're your ally. I don't have to do that. that that's what lets you know you got to wait on them, so. Mm -hmm. 
We didn't get along too good. So what other countries were you able to visit in Europe? I mean, you said Germany, Austria, France. Did you go to Spain or Great Britain? You didn't do much travel when you was over there. Mm -hmm. We did a lot of border patrol, but man, I had this crazy guy in there. I fit right I got over there and, and put us on. Usually they send two out at a time on border patrol. And he he was driver. So went on this border patrol and come back. Captain said something to me and I said, well, I'm going to tell you, Captain, you might have to court-martial me. He said, what? what's wrong with you? I said, if you tell me to go with this guy again on border, border patrol, I'm not going. I said, you might have to court-martial me. He said, why? I said, I said, that man's crazy. I said, he run upside the mountain, run two wheels up on it, and uh, just just show off. Yeah. Be going along, and all once he's here, he's sitting there like that. Don't know whether you're going to go down that mountain or not. I said, he said, oh, I can't be that bad. I said, well, all I'm telling you is I'm not going no more. <laughs> so if you schedule me out, you're going to court martial me. So about two weeks later, he he decided he was going to go with him. So he told me, said, I, I feel like getting out in the air today. I'd like ride along with you. <laughs> when he come back, he was driving. <laughs> he come to me, he said, man, how do you stand that all the way out and back? I said, I, I don't know, but I'm not going no more. He said, I know you're not. I said, I told him, take that man's license. Never give him another license to drive anything. <laughs> <laughs> he was so, he was so shook up. I'm telling you, it took him about a week to get straightened out again. A <laughs> uh, captain. <laughs> which border? Which mountains were this? Were well, I couldn't couldn't answer that. What mountains it was, but uh, I know one thing. It was a long ways down when you looked out that door, yeah. and for see the bottom. But the camp we was in, it was, it made it nice. We was right up on on the mountain, and then guys used to get out there with these uh, boards, get up on them at the top, and go down this steep road uh, paved, and right down the bottom was a ninety degree turn with a wooden gate there, so you wouldn't go roll over the cliff. And these guys, those skateboarders, they get out, go down that thing of flying and get down there and turn like that. Every once in a while, somebody would fall and go through the gate. But uh, that, that inexperience, they thought they'd just follow, follow the suit. But 
I got on fire one day. They told us to uh, we'll creep along slow. And about halfway down, I was down on my back sliding. Mm-hmm. He said, well, I'll help you up again. And I said, no, you're going to help me up. Let me slide on down here to this gate. Then I can get up and get them off. And that's what I've done. Mm-hmm. Walked back up with them on my shoulder. So is that something you did for fun? Everyone did for fun, just to, to pass the time? Yeah, just pass time. The ones that can do it, I mean, it, it was a lot of fun for them to go down there. A lot of times it'd be two of them at a time to get down there. They knew just how to move. But it wasn't for, wasn't for me, I told him, I said, I'll peel potatoes, they can go go ahead and go. <laughs> Much safer, right? Yeah. How many potatoes do you think you peeled in your service? <laughs> oh, my land. <laughs> that I don't know. Seemed like you'd pin, uh, peel for two days for the next meal. Yes, it is a lot of potatoes when you're just sitting there peeling potatoes. Well, thank you so much. These these stories have been incredible. Thank you. Thank you for sharing them with us. Well, like I say, I wasn't there fighting, which I thank the Lord for that. But... uh, Well, I can't say I'm sorry. I mean, I just, it was an experience. It's still a really cool point of view. I just think, I guess I should have told told my parents, but <laughs> of course, father, all he had was an old six-wheel truck because he had his truck in the neighborhood. We didn't have no cars. And when I'd get a leave, come home, He'd come over in that truck and pick me up. Of course, there used to be three or four more that wanted to ride home, too. Yeah, um, may I actually take a picture of your Service to America certificate that's behind you? Mm-hmm. The World War II veteran? Mm-hmm. May I take a picture of that? Help yourself. Oh, thanks. Well, thank you so much. We, we, get, we really appreciate it. You know, we've been looking for stories about people on the home front and veterans, and you just have a story that blends both of those. Well, I've got a lot of pictures. I, I don't know where they're at. Uh, my wife took care of that before she passed away. She used to have all everything in the house here. And I had a lot of pictures I sent home from Germany. But I don't know where where she kept them. Oh, yeah, you can pass. No, I know they're in here, Dad, because Dusta looked at them when she was home. Yeah, so I know they're here, but I just don't Thank you.
But when we enlisted, the four of us, <laughs> you, you had a hard time getting getting anybody stuff pick you up. You know, four four head. Yeah. Nobody didn't want to pick up four head. Yeah. Finally, somebody picked us up in a pickup. We got got in the back. They were in, they were loose because I remember her looking at them. No, this was my mom. I think she was younger. Oh. I think she got sick. And uh, I'll tell you, it was a shock just bring her home here and walk in here and five minutes later she's dead. Oh, we packed a lot of clothes up here. Church of Nazarene, Larry Kingstown, mm -hmm. and uh, we, we, her and I always mm -hmm. kept them in boxes, mm -hmm. banana boxes. We'd go to stores and pick them up, and I'd clean them up and cut the cardboard for them. And uh, she. Uh, she was up there packing clothes, and she slipped and fell. St well, she didn't. She stumbled over a plastic uh, carton up there that was stacked on something else, and then it just slid off, and she didn't see it. And uh, when it slid off, and she stumbled over it on the cement. Took her up to the hospital there and they checked her up there and had to send her Easton. Yeah. Had a broken hip. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was in the hospital there a while. Then she got discharged from there and, and uh, ever. A couple times a week, she'd I'd have to take her into the therapy place in Chestertown and not the hospital for a checkup. And she was doing real good. And so I took her to the hospital that morning. They checked her and said, everything looks fine. 
and I took her out to the therapy place on High Street. And she went out there and I always go in and sit inside the door there on this little sofa they sit there, people sit on. And she goes upstairs on the elevator for her therapy. And I'll wait till she gets done and come out and we usually stop and have breakfast and come on home. So when she come down from upstairs, I was sitting there on the sofa and I went to get up and she said, I got good news, got good news for you. I said, what's that? She said, I don't have to come back for any more. said, the, just then the nurse, the therapist from upstairs, she come in. She's doing so good, she said she don't have to come back for any more. said, but now if you feel you want some more or need some more, said, you come back and I'll give you two more oh, treatments yeah. free. Yeah. And that was two good reports left there. I went back, I said, you want to stop and have breakfast? No, I want to go on home. So we left there and come drove home here and got out. I said, you want me to get the walker? Carry up. He said, no, so I'm going to walk. said, you come out and let, hold your arm out and let me hold on to it. She held on my arm, come here, walked up steps, come in the door. She said, uh, I'm not going to the kitchen tonight. We had to stop and got some milk and cornflakes for breakfast. And she said, I'll put that away in the morning. I said, I've already put it away. It's in the fridge. She said, I think I'm going to lay down here on this sofa for about 10 minutes, take a little nap. She said, I feel like I need a little nap. I said, sleep long as you want. I said, and I started back. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to sit in that chair and watch you. That's what I'm going to do. So I started over here. I sat down in the chair, and she, she reached up and got the blanket, and I've never, ever seen her put a blanket on her in the daytime and lay down. And I thought, well, maybe she's just tired from riding home. And so I sat here, and I shut my eyes, and every once in a while I look over, and she'd be laying there, same place. I guess I dozed off for a couple minutes there. And all once I opened my eyes and looked, I said, well, she's not in the kitchen. She hadn't woke up yet. So I got up here and walked over there and looked at her. I said, no, she's still uh, still sleeping. And I started back, took two steps. And it's just like somebody was standing there talking to me. He said, check her, check her. Kept going through my mind. I stopped right still. I said, check her. Check her. I just looked at her. So I walked back over there and looked at her, leaned down like I was going to kiss her. I said, she's not breathing. I reached down and touched her leg. And man, it's just like putting in an ice cube tray. The minute she hit that sofa, she was dead. 
she had to be. Do you want to take a break?